0: Hey, what's up everybody. Welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm Brian Kaderna. In today's episode, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by a really cool guest in Wendy Starland. Let me give you a quick background on Wendy before I lead into today's interview. Wendy Starland is an American singer, songwriter, and music producer from Los Angeles. She's been honored by the Songwriters Hall of Fame, named VH1's Best Emerging Artist, and was featured on Moby's Grammy-nominated album Last Night. She's performed all around the world and collaborated with some of the biggest stars of music. In addition to all of this, Wendy discovered and developed the 13-time Grammy, two-time Golden Globe, and Oscar-winning icon Lady Gaga. Starland developed Lady Gaga's career during the recording of her album The Fame, which received Billboard's Album of the Decade. So this is a wide-ranging conversation in which we get to know Wendy from her break as a 14-year-old and how she found an executive assistant that would go on to become Lady Gaga and how entrepreneurship and branding are so critical to making it. She'll share some of her best advice for youth looking into breaking into the music scene. So without further ado, I want to get right into it with my guest, Wendy Starland
1: is going to require work and time and sweat and toil
2: if money wasn't an issue what would i be doing don't worry about it you'll figure it out change is the only constant the
0: Podcast. wendy welcome to the show
1: thanks so much for having me love being here
0: yeah i mean it's quite a bio that you have so I mean, just to kind of take us all the way back, hit the rewind button. I had read once that it was actually your childhood babysitter that got you into music. Uh, Can you just kind of tell us a little bit of how you got your start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My childhood babysitter was Rosetta Atkins, and uh, she was a gospel singer from down south. Absolute treasure, um, incredible voice. And she taught me how to sing by imitating the voices on the radio, both male and female voices. And she taught me techniques from the time that I was literally born um, until I was a teenager. And so um, I got this firsthand knowledge of how to use my voice. And by the time I started writing songs at seven years old, um, I had already built up techniques. And um, it was, it was an incredible journey. My uh, uncle performed um, alongside huge acts like Bruce Springsteen, the Allman Brothers, Black Sabbath. Um, He had his own band called Gollum. And uh, so he made sure that I had some great musical influences from the beginning. and. Um, And my father played classical piano. And so um, with all these different types of influences, gospel, classical, rock and roll, I really developed a love of music and a curiosity about how to become great at it.
0: That's awesome. And so it was in a way a bit in your blood where you actually had this around you. It wasn't that you were totally out in left field, you know, falling in love with music.
1: No, I would definitely, I mean, listen, I was born and raised in New York City, which is just a great epicenter of culture, music, um, pop culture, and um, the influences around me from my family, all of it put together uh, and combined became just sort of who I am and uh, gave me that deep curiosity for it.
0: That's great. And was there like kind of a time where you thought, this is what I want to do with my life? Cause I'm sure so many young boys and girls out there hearing their favorite song on the radio and saying, you know, I want to do this. I want to be a rock star or I want to be the the next, you know, Britney Spears or whoever it might be. Um, You know, I imagine you kind of rode that roller coaster where it was a dream, then it was not a dream. And like, did it become a reality? Was there like a, a tipping point that you hit?
1: There absolutely was a tipping point. So, um, like I said, I was born and raised in New York city and, Um, I got my fake ID early on and started hitting hitting the nightclubs and going to all these places. And so when I was about 14, um, me and my friends went to this club and there was this uh, funk artist named Maceo Parker who was performing. And I don't know if you know who Maceo Parker is, but when James Brown went solo, his band stayed intact and Maceo Parker, who was his saxophone player became his uh, became the lead singer and so the whole band stayed intact and I went to this club when I was 14 and it was general admission and he pulled me up on stage which was absolutely insane that hasn't happened to me you know before or since and I started singing on his stage. And it was this unbelievable thing where his um, sac- his trombone player tapped his microphone in front of me and to prove to me so I could sing, I started harmonizing with him. And uh, he just was like, oh my God, she knows how to sing. And he took the whole band and threw them off the stage and just the bass player. And he got back on the drums, which, who even knew he could play the drums? And I just started wailing on his stage for 20 minutes as this little girl, and it was so wild. And at the end, Maceo Parker, uh, you know, said, what's your name, Don? Wendy Starlet." <sighs> everyone goes crazy. And the bass player, without anyone seeing, had taken a bass string off his bass guitar and coiled it up in a little ring. And he got down and on one knee and he said into the microphone, Wendy, darling, you've got a gift from God. And if you do not devote the rest of your life to using this gift, you will rob the rest of us of something so special. And wow. he put the ring around, the bass string around my finger. And he said, from this day forward, you are married to music. And I got the chills. It was unbelievable. And that was the moment that really changed my life. I became married to music. It was written up in all the newspapers the next day. Oh, my goodness. I was, you know, I put together a band. We were booked in all the best venues in New York after that.
0: So, how do you go home from? I imagine that's a story like you got to share with your parents that you just got found, like you have an opportunity at music. How did that conversation go down when you tell them where exactly you met with, uh, you know, in this this club that you may have used a fake ID to get into?
1: <laughs> well, you know, my parents, again, like we lived in New York City, they knew I was independent from a young age. But mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, my grandfather, who was my idol, always wanted me to pursue my painting passion. Um, I went to Cornell University. For that and um, felt that the music lifestyle he didn't want me getting mixed up with all of that but um, music in my generation is very different than it was for my uncle's generation in the 60s and 70s where um, it was really associated with a whole lifestyle that was different um, and now you can be it's much more like being a little entrepreneur (laughs) yeah, Um, because you have to be everything you have to be not only a musician and be great at your craft songwriting and production which are two different but necessary things to be able to learn to execute the music and and position it properly in the world but then you have to market it and you have to get rally a team behind you who is going to support you and Um, allow you to shine so it's such a it's such a it's it's really much more like a startup today than it was um, back in the times yeah the olden times
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that's I mean I imagine that's got to be intimidating you're 14 years old you know you just kind of get this crazy moment this crazy night where you get brought up there on stage and then it starts to open doors for you I mean, did you dive in head first or did you have hesitation of, you know, I'm way out of my league here. These people are older or they know what they're doing. I don't know where to go, where to turn to, or, or did you have like a mentor that kind of held your hand through some of that process?
1: I did not have a mentor. That is something I wish that I had big time. Um, I did have some good luck along the way. Um, But I I did dive in head first at this same time. So I continued to pursue music after that and really develop my skills. Um, That being said, I still continued along the path of my education and doing all the things that my parents wanted me to do. So um, it was a supplement. I didn't say, okay, I'm dropping out of school and only doing this. But at the same time, I took it very seriously. And as I grew and developed and uh, learned how to become more independent with my production skills so that I can turn an idea into a product and a reality, um, more opportunities came. So I became more independent and was able to attract the attention of world-class producers like... Gary Lyons, for example, who produced the Rolling Stones and Aerosmith and all of these huge acts who took me, you know, while I was still in school and said, hey, I want to produce you for free. Um, I think you're the next biggest thing. And I want to, you know, take you into this next year of your life. And then there were other people when I finally like saved up to get the equipment that I wanted for example to be able to produce music my equipment broke down one day and a guy who came to fix it uh, heard my music and said wow that's you it really sounds different than your speaking voice yeah and he said have you ever worked on or sang on anyone else's albums and I said no because I hadn't as a teenager and he said okay well meet me on Saturday I'm going to have you sing on an album sing on a record and he took me uh, I, I lived in Manhattan at the time in New York City and we went on the ferry to Staten Island which I had never been to Staten Island in my life at that point and he opened this door of the studio and who was there, but the Wu-Tang clan.
0: Oh and gosh.
1: So I was like, Oh my God, you know, here I was the young teenage girl. I was not expecting this. And I get in there and they're like, sing this song right here. And I was like, I'll sing it, but that's not a hit. That's not how it's going to go. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? I said, I'm telling you. You got two chords there's no tension chord before the chorus to make the chorus pop and you know all of this songwriting these songwriting skills that I've been i would learned since I was seven and they're like all right go in there rewrite it come back out so here of course my producer friend who brought me in for my my first session was ready to kill me <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing I don't understand how this is a thing that you're sitting here complaining about the song that you're supposed to sing on. yeah. But I went in, I rewrote it, we re-recorded it, came in, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes later, press play and they loved it. And they're like, oh, Wendy's Z 100, which was the name of the big radio station in New
0: yeah. York. Yeah. Sure,
1: sure. And, uh, and so I ended up writing Thirty songs for the Wu-Tang Clan. And one member uh, asked me to join a band with him. And I said, as long as we can keep uh, the producer in who brought me in uh, to this band. And we created this band called ESP and uh, opened up for Sean Paul for, you know, 7,000 people or whatnot. And, and got this.
0: That's great. And so as a kid, I mean, would you say that you were like a normal kid at that time? Like as you're starting to kind of get found, if you will, I mean, were you playing sports and extracurricular activities or was it like just school? And then Wendy just disappears into this music world.
1: No, I was absolutely a regular kid. I was the captain of the tennis team and the volleyball team and the MVP. woohoo, <laughs> Glory <laughs> days. Um, I mean, I was, I was recruited to Cornell for both sports and um, I definitely made that. Um, I had a regular life and I, I was doing lots of things, but music was a, re- a way to relax for me um, because I was very competitive. Yeah. Um, and so this was uh, a great experience.
0: And was there ever anything that, that kind of competed with music to, to draw your attention away, whether it was sports, or you said like you were passionate about painting. Eventually you did go from high school to Cornell. Um, I mean, did you feel like you were kind of getting dragged in different directions or was music always there as kind of a center point?
1: Music was always there, but it was, um, it was a way to relax. Like for example, painting, I took very seriously, my grandfather uh, was a, an artist and um, an excellent painter and sculptor, uh, really felt that that's where my focus should be. And, um, and I pursued both, but I just, I did music more as a hobby at first. Um, and then as more and more professional opportunities presented themselves, I just said, I've got to go with it.
0: Was there ever a time you felt like, I want to give it up? Did you have any kind of real hurdles that you hit where it just felt like, you know, this may have run its course?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think the life of a musician is a very difficult journey. Um, Whether you're at the top of the heap or the bottom, it is rigorous in many ways. So first of all, you have to always... You're doing it for the love and the passion. Right now, economically, it's a miserable environment for musicians because um, a Spotify stream, Pandora, any of the streaming platforms pay less than half a penny for per stream. So you can imagine how many streams you have to get if it's less than half a penny, 0.004. Um, To in order to make enough money for your rent, for a life, for anything. Um, And that's why I've really started to dedicate myself to um, creating um, a different platform for musicians to be able to thrive and grow financially um, while becoming more popular and exposing their music. And I can tell you more about that. That's what I'm doing now, but there, there have been so many struggles and, um, you see, you know, as a musician, it's such pure intentions. I mean, they're the most sensitive people, you know, we're the most sensitive people on the planet. We examine our lives and put it to music, put our diaries to music. So here's, And we're surrounded by a bunch of people who, you know, they're looking to monetize it, yet the royalty rates are, (laughs) they're not helping us to monetize it, they're helping themselves when, you know, they get 85% um, at the record labels or, you know, 75% um, of the streaming royalties and then that has, you know, whatever tiny percentage you get less than half a penny has to be broken up between the co-writer, the manager, the lawyer, the uh, accountant, the you know, the producers, everyone. so yeah. it's it's really very difficult to survive even when you've made it to the top. And so that's why a lot of the largest, artists on the planet make their money off of merchandising, touring, um, you know, they're making it off of ticket sales, selling (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts, all these things, but it's, it's less from the streaming uh, music.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember when Napster came out and it was just it like blew everybody's mind. You had Napster. And then I think he had LimeWire. I remember. And it was like, who's ever going to buy a CD again or, or a record? Right. You know, it's it's like everywhere. It's there almost for free.
1: Well, so what I would say about that is imagine if your product or service all of a sudden was free, how would yeah. you survive? I want you to really think about that. How would you survive if your product or service was suddenly free? Um, yep. And with radio, for example, the royalties are are good. The royalties are fair and um, the artists can make a living from that. However, radio has turned into streaming. Yep. So how are we going to survive in that climate? Um, there needs to be laws that implement change to make the royalty rate more similar to the royalty rates at radio
0: yeah and so i mean as you're starting to kind of describe all of this it it just seems like such a almost a business education that you take on as you go through all this was it like a baptism by fire for you or it, did you have any formal business education what was it like because as a financial advisor i mean i always kind of bring it back to you know financial literacy and things so many musicians or, or even athletes and stuff, they get their start so young in life. And it's like they get that that big bang where they they have that opportunity to seize the day and then it can be gone quickly. Um, wh- what is it like, at least in athletics? I mean, if you're in the NFL, you're a part of a team, you know, you, you have a union looking out for you. I, I assume music can be a little bit different when it's so independent what was that like when you started to actually kind of, you know, make some strides at such a young age?
1: Well, I made some strides, but um, the successes didn't always equal money. And Mm. so um, for example, you know, when I was discovered by Maceo Parker and it was written up in all the newspapers uh, that gave me opportunities to get more gigs um, and have more Live performances, but you still gotta fill the, that with you know fill the seats up. You still have to promote yourself. It is truly, like you said, a business education unto itself, where you've got to figure out how to get it done. Um, and it's survival of the fittest, and the people who don't figure that out um, go into something else. Yeah. They they fail, and so. Um, you're always hustling to part of what ended up um, having me write for other people was not only my taste in music when it came to the Wu-Tang <laughs> Clan and telling them okay well I think that this uh, chord progression would work better. But um, with Lady Gaga I still had my uh, solo career at that point it was around the time that I was honored by the Songwriters Hall of Fame. and. Um, I was still hustling on the side to help um, build somebody else's career because you needed to find um, a way to earn a living and there aren't these unions, as you put it, Um, there aren't these. uh, You know you don't earn a salary, you have to you earn every single penny that you make um, through hard work and perseverance and a lot of resilience.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just kind of described all the ingredients of an entrepreneur. So I think that that kind of hits the nail on the head. It's like a musical entrepreneur is what you have to embrace that. And so just to kind of segue a little bit, I know you mentioned Lady Gaga. That was something that's obviously huge. She's one of the you know, all time greatest kind of icons in music and entertainment. Can you just give us the backstory there? I feel like one could only fathom like how Lady Gaga becomes Lady Gaga.
1: Um well thank you we worked very hard on it so I'm very happy that um you know it worked out <laughs>
0: sure yeah, i bet <laughs>
1: um but you know when i met lady gaga uh, her name was stephanie germanotta she was um working at famous music publishing so uh, for those of you who may not know what a publishing deal is it's kind of like a record deal for a songwriter where a company, um, a publishing house will buy up the rights to your songs and mm-hmm. then you're earning back uh, the advance that they give you through royalties. And mm-hmm. she was the, um, she was the assistant to the uh, Irwin Robinson who was the president of Famous Music Publishing,
2: okay.
1: um, which was a big publishing company, Viacom. Yeah. And so I am a songwriter and um, have about 2000 recorded songs, which is a lot. And yeah. um, the CEO was interested in in signing me to a publishing deal. And so when I met her, she was, I didn't even know she was a singer. She was in a suit behind a desk, um, you know, working. Um, as an assistant um, and so I don't know weeks later she came up to me when we were both performing on the same bill Mm -hmm. at um, a show and it was it in the um, at the cutting room in New York City and she said oh, I don't know if you remember me from Irwin Robinson's office. I said, yes, of course I remember you. And uh, we're performing on the same bill tonight. It would mean a lot if you checked out my show. I said, of course. And I checked her out. And at the same time, I had been an in-house songwriter for um, a multi-platinum producer. And we had been writing an album. uh, And that album was he he said i want you to go out find a girl under the age of 25 who could be the female equivalent to the lead singer the strokes someone who's edgy and bold who you can't take your eyes off off of and uh, if you're able to locate that person and find that person and if we're able to sign her to a deal then we will continue to develop that artist and we're gonna start now by working on this record to prepare, you know, songs for her. And so when I saw Stephanie Germanata at the time, now Lady Gaga, I said, this girl has great charisma. She is an incredible voice. She's spot on, she has great confidence. And the band around her was not up to her level. The songwriting was not up to the level Uh, that she could have been at and so I basically said how would you like to sign a deal with myself and my partner and I believe that we could make you into the biggest star in the world (laughs) and that's exactly what we did and so luckily she um, was totally open to uh, the creative process and we we collectively yeah,
0: and the rest just, is history. Yeah. <laughs> and so at that time, I mean, this was just like a side hustle for you? Like you're you're chasing your passion, your dream of being a musician, and then you were doing this other thing with a business partner to essentially go out and find talent and create another star almost alongside yeah. of you.
1: you a know? lot of a lot of songwriting and production. And so um it was continuing to not only You know, I was touring a lot at the time in Europe. Um, So that's where uh, my song Dancing with the Sea was released uh, on Universal. And so I was performing all over Europe for years and uh, got to perform with an entire symphony, which was unbelievable, singing my song with the symphony behind me in Italy for the mayor of Tortoretto, which was just it was, and it was just absolutely That's one of crazy. the most phenomenal experiences of my life. And then I came home and I was writing pop songs and trying to help develop Lady Gaga um and
0: was that if I could jump in was that like your first kind of experiment if you will of saying hey I'm coming up with this this idea of what this person's going to look like the songs that I'm writing that fit her voice or had you done that a number of times before and it just didn't click like I
1: I I had I had never done something um where it was as you know the image of Lady Gaga was something that was Um, very unique. And it was so different than everything that was happening at the time. So Beyonce, for example, uh, Beyonce, Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, um, everyone was sort of sweet and pretty. And uh, Nora Jones had sold, you know, something like 25 million or even more records at the time and that was what was dominating the airwaves there was no dance music and so like an entrepreneur who has to solve a problem I said we got to go where nobody else is going and fill the niche in the market that isn't being filled and so there was zero dance music I said let's let's create dance music, let's create an edgy and bold image and um, create something that people are yearning for that, you know, you don't want to go where the market is too saturated. And um, it was a very saturated market for um, sweet, you know, that was when, for example, Beyonce had her entire uh, female band at the time. Um, So the it was every, all the women were very sweet and pretty and, and we wanted to create something outrageous.
0: It was because it's funny. I mean, I feel like in recent memory, you see Lady Gaga and she looks her, I don't want to say normal, but she looks like just kind of very toned down versus what she used to be almost professional in a way. And it's like, if you go back to when she just got her break, I remember that it was just outrageous, like people, they either loved it, or they were up in arms, like, what the heck is this lady wearing? You know, she's covered in blood with these outrageous costumes on. And
1: well, but that, and that was very much on purpose, because basically, we said, Okay, there's, you know, all of these girls like Beyonce, Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, who are very sexy, we give another sexy image to the public it's just going to be compared how do we get her the attention without being compared well let's
0: just dress, go <laughs> dress
1: dress it up like a car crash and make everyone a rubbernecker you know make um let's you know have these bold edgy looks that are going to create a stir and now let's um let's see what kind of audience is attracted to it Um,
0: so i mean that's incredible what happened with you and lady gaga you found her and it's like this all came to fruition and then obviously the rest is history where you make this monster album a question i wanted to ask you wendy so where do you find this creativity i know you said sometimes you want to go where people are not you know you want to find this gap this opening and see if there's something to be filled there where do you personally derive your own creativity and where some of that inspiration come from
1: well, I believe any musician will tell you that inspiration is God given. It is, whether or not you believe in God, it's given from the universe. And it's something that, um, you know, you can study, you can hone your craft, but uh, the inspiration flows through you and you execute on what is flowing through you. And it is a privilege to do it. Um, so where does it come from? It comes from living your life, examining what you're going through, um, the emotions, the heartbreak, the, um, the joy, the, all of it, it takes a sensitive soul to analyze what you're going through. Um, and basically put your diary to music. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, something that is a privilege to do. Um, but it's, you need to really cultivate uh, that language so that music itself becomes something more effortless. Um, And the more effortless it becomes, the more you hone your skills, the better uh, the message and the clearer the message is to the audience member who is listening to it. So as musicians, we have to really pay attention not only to what's happening in the marketplace and what's but what's happening within ourselves that we're going to be able to convey something authentic because if you're not conveying an authentic message to the listener Mm
2: -hmm. to
1: the audience um it will never resonate it just won't um it has to be people see through it people will see through it in two seconds
0: without a doubt And so do you have a favorite part, like in all this, because it it seems like you can not again, going back to the entrepreneur thing. I mean, you do wear a lot of different hats where you could be writing, you could be coming up with some of these ideas, like going back to Gaga and some of the outrageous outfit where you're almost producing this persona. And then you could be performing like you have where you're out there singing or you're playing the instrument. Do you have a favorite part in this whole big process of music?
1: my favorite part is writing songs i love i mean listen all it's so funny because when people think about it, they're like oh are, are you a, a singer a songwriter a record producer to people who don't speak the language of music that sounds like wow these are these are so different how can someone do so many things but it's literally the equivalent of writing, speaking, and reading. I mean, (laughs) you need all three to function. It's a language. And so um, I love all three. I I love doing it, but I I prefer the moment where I've written the song and I can hear the full production in my head. Mm -hmm. And I know the potential and I know how it's gonna sound on stage when 30,000 people are singing back the chorus to you, it's a magical feeling. And um, then coming up with the arrangements to to fill it out fully. But the moment- Do you ever
0: feel like there's a disconnect between you writing and, and you have this beautiful idea that you want to get out there, but then the person that's actually bringing it to the masses, the singer, that maybe they don't carry that same tone that you envisioned- how do you overcome that? Like, do you see that that's there? Do you critique them? Or do you have to let them be themselves with your words? Like, how do you? How is that handled?
1: Not at all. I actually love it. Because I am when I'm writing a song for someone else, I have it with their voice in mind. So it is literally a custom made song, just like you can if you're making a dress for someone, if they've got big hips, you do an A-line skirt, you know, if somebody has a high range to their voice, you create a high range um, in the chorus, for example, so that they can show off. If they pronounce their vowel sounds to the lyrics in a specific way, then you put that at the end of the lyrics, so that they can show off at the end of each line. I mean, it's very specific. So at no point, um, if I'm writing something for myself, it's totally different than if I'm writing something for someone else. Um,
0: It's interesting. So is it almost your job to kind of elevate your game to, to customize a song, to write a song that fits them as opposed to them trying to get the most out of your words that you wrote down? It, it, yeah, do you feel it, that like the pressure's on you, like, like you, let the artist down by maybe not giving them the right words?
1: Never, because I know, first of all, I'm typically working with the artists. So we're working together to create something magical for them. Okay. But when I'm working with an artist, I want to take what's personal about them and emphasize it and amplify it. That is my job. And it doesn't feel like pressure. It feels like a gift to be able to take what's beautiful about them and amplify yep. it to the world.
0: Yeah, and sh- kind of shine the spotlight on that perfect part that that everybody needs to see and hear. So and it's
1: not really the perfect part, Brian. It's really the part that is distinctive about them. So if you have a raspy voice, we're gonna put that low and raspy thing in the verses because it's very rare when you can have a part like that in the chorus that's usually gonna be soaring and, mm-hmm. and strong. Um, so it's Taylor making a beautiful environment around a voice so that that person can connect best yeah. with their audience.
0: That's really cool. I, I didn't see it as such a collaboration, where there's it, it's like a matchmaking almost of of the words and the artists to create this one thing. And so, I want to. I know we've kind of gone around. We've gone from the past to the present. What are some things, Wendy, that you could maybe share? Because I'm sure a lot of listeners right now are hoping to hear about it. If you could tell us, maybe when you were getting started, something that you wish you knew back then, or you wish somebody told you, Hey, Wendy, you got to make sure to do this or make sure you don't do this. Um, anything that looking back at yourself, you would change?
1: Yes, I definitely didn't realize, um, how entrepreneurial this job was. And it really takes so much courage, first of all, to put yourself out there and to, Um, you're giving of yourself in such a deep way publicly. So you have to be able to do that. Most artists are ready and willing to do that. On top of it, you have to be able to market yourself. Um, You have to learn about what makes you unique, how to identify the parts of yourself that distinguish you from other artists. There are a million great artists out there Um, Most of them are really well produced too, but are they a brand? How are you going to brand yourself that identifies you um, in a way that's very powerful?
0: Yeah, it almost, it almost seems unfair in a way for, you know, creators, anyone, whether you're an artist, you know, in in the physical sense of painting or drawing to being an author to a musician, my own experience is more, you know, I have a few books, so I understand the process as an author. And I remember I was working with a publisher and they said, you know, back in the day, you used to have to write a great book and then you could get famous. But now you've got to get famous and then you'll have the chance to write a book. And it just seems like everything's a little bit backwards. Um, I get what you're saying, that it's like so important for these young people to build a brand and then have that carry them forward. But I'm sure there's just that, that person out there that has, you know, the voice of an angel saying, you know. I don't want to do all that other stuff. I wish somebody could just take the skill I have and, and it, it almost in some way seems unfair. Um, what would you tell someone that, that seems like, you know, I don't, I don't want to go out marketing. I don't want to do all this. I just want to do the thing that I love.
1: I would tell them that it's completely unrealistic <laughs> and that That's- they absolutely have to get off their butt and do all of the jobs necessary to make it because there will be someone happily taking their place if they don't. Um, wow. It's not enough to just do the music. It is not enough to just be a great performer. It is not enough just to have a a great look to you and um, something identifiable. You need to be able to market yourself fully and be a full brand. On top guess- of that, you need to protect that brand. And there are going to be a lot of sharks in the water who are happy to take from you. And so learning how to protect yourself through that process is crucial.
0: That's well said. As you say that, I guess that defines the difference between a hobbyist and a professional. You know, you can have fun doing the thing, but until you really build that brand and have something to sell to the world, you're just having fun. So this has been great, Wendy. You, you really taught us quite a bit here with your journey. Um, so looking forward now, I mean, what's your take? I mean, you're you're a veteran and I mean that in the, the best way possible of this industry, a little bit of Hollywood, a little bit of, you know, music world. Um, what do you see right now? What would you like to change? What are you trying to help people with? What's kind of those little nuggets of info you could say, hey, I know you gave us one about branding, um, but what are you hoping to see moving forward? Uh, with music because everything under the sun is just changing so quickly now.
1: I think one of the most important things that I am working on is a brand new platform. It's called Music Soul and I have a partner, Aris Prasidis, who is a technologist. And so we are combining our know-how to be able to create a middle class for the music industry. And that is truly my goal. Basically, we're taking the streaming platforms and instead of giving artists less than half a penny, we're going to give them 70% of each stream. So you can imagine if you are all of a sudden making real money from streaming, how that's going to affect your life. Maybe you don't have to become this three ring circus learning how to market yourself and this and that, all of these other things because you can actually make money off of streaming um, instead of hustling to sell merchandise and ticket sales and all of these other things. So this is really going to be a game changer. We're gonna be- Is it a platform? I'm sorry. (laughs) And no problem. It's a technology platform cross-promoting, artists, charities, and brands, Um, we are going to be able to pay artists through programmatic advertising and um, many other um, sources of income, new revenue streams for artists that they don't currently have.
0: That's cool. And so is that out there yet? Is there a name to that? Or this is in the works?
1: It's called Music Soul. And right now, um, it's in the works.
0: That's awesome. When uh when can people expect to learn more about that or or participate in that?
1: Uh in the coming
0: months. In the okay. Coming months. All right, cool. So I, I was hoping you wouldn't say, you know, three years from today. Um so that's... It's time for the White round. First up, what's your favorite book?
1: The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand.
0: The Fountainhead, okay. And a favorite movie?
1: Shawshank Redemption.
0: That's classic. And so this all started as a finance show. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what's the best investment you've made?
1: Well, um, I I mean, I diversify my investments with stocks, um, but I would say Salesforce was a great investment.
0: Okay, great. And on the flip side, anything a worst investment? Could be monetary or otherwise.
1: Um. I would say my worst investment has been my investment in people, uh, certain people who did not deserve uh, my time, attention, and energy.
0: Okay, (laughs) fair enough. And I know you've traveled a ton in your career. Do you have a favorite destination or vacation?
1: Well, uh, I'd say my favorite vacation spot would be St. Bart's. And in terms of destinations, I really loved Italy, um, performing in Italy and in Poland. I, I really never expected to ever go to Poland, but performed at this huge, um, where, where the symphony plays. And it was, it was just a magical experience.
0: Wow. And do you have a quote that you live by?
1: Um, fall down seven times, stand up eight.
0: Okay. When you grew up, did you have a childhood hero? If so, who was that?
1: Um, my childhood hero is still my current hero, who is my mom. She's the absolute best. Um, one a childhood hero that other people know <laughs> <laughs> might be somebody like Sting. Okay, I think, uh, Sting or Bono are both uh, heroes of mine. Um, especially, uh, what I love about Sting is that he controls the top and the bottom of the band by singing. It's the top of the band and the melody and the bottom by the bass and the rhythm of the band um, and is a phenomenal songwriter. And what they don't talk about in music is the degree of difficulty. I mean, people can hear it with a voice like Whitney Houston or, you um, Aretha Franklin, but when it comes to songwriting, people don't notice when there's a time signature change or a key change. And so he does that so effortlessly and flawlessly that uh, the general public doesn't realize the degree of difficulty of his music is really phenomenal.
0: Yeah, he's one of the greats. And then last but not least, you know, I always like to talk about how we start the day and kind of kick things off on the right note. So do you have any sort of morning routine? Could you tell us what it is?
1: <laughs> you know, I I wish I had a better answer for this. I really I wake up, I get on my phone, I usually am just dive right into work as soon as I wake up. So
0: <laughs>
1: okay. I don't have a great I don't have a great answer for that. <laughs>
0: That's cool. But you get right after it.
1: I, I get right after it.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the time today, Wendy. And lastly, I mean, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you just kind of follow your work and and your next venture?
1: Definitely find me on social media. It's Wendy Starland on all platforms. Uh, And I would love for you to check out my website, wendystarland.com and feel free to contact me there.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for the time, Wendy. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm Brian Kaderna. Today, we had the pleasure of speaking with Wendy Starland. Be sure to check her out. And uh, wherever you're tuning in, make sure that you leave us a review, subscribe, and go tell a friend. Until next (laughs)
2: This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC PAS. OSJ, 300 Broad Acres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Phone number 973-244-4420. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Hiderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California insurance license number 0K04194.